This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 465 of the Yellow Pods. I'm Joshua from Wutzko and today we'll talk about Borussia Dortmund winning 3-1 against VfL Bochum. Gio Reyna going on loan to Nottingham Forest, also extending his contract while doing that. And of course we will preview tomorrow's game. Yes, we're a little late, I'm sorry, uh, against Seidenheim. And uh, bonus points uh, if we also manage to get uh, Blank going to Salzburg in there. For all that more, joins me last point one. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm fine. How are you? Very good myself. Thank you very much. So, 3-1 against Bochum, Lars. Uh, I managed to only watch the first half live and was a little bit disappointed that... Uh, when I had to start my uh, shift covering <laughs> the 24 hours of Daytona, um, that unfortunately uh, it was a draw and uh, I could not sort of coast into uh, that race knowing that Dortmund had done all their business. Um, but in the end, it was a 3-1 win and I watched the second half a little bit later and I must say it was a, a, a bit more comfortable. So, uh, Last talk me talk me through that game. Uh, what were your observations? Were there any drastic improvements uh, compared to the the previous two games? What do you think? I think first of all, Bochum were the best side they faced so far this season. Uh, not, not the season, this calendar year, obviously. Um, <laughs> given that they uh, played against Darmstadt and Cologne, arguably the two worst or least talented or however you want to call it sides in, in the league right now beforehand. So Bochum definitely a step up in terms of the challenge Dortmund were faced with. Then again, it was a home game um, and the prospect of being able to over um, take Leipzig after they were beaten by Stuttgart on Saturday. So the, the table was set, if you like, for a decent home game. I I'm I kind of struggle really to put the game into much context. Uh, kind of a hazy memory for me. I mean, I do remember the goals, but beyond that, kind of uh, a nothingness in terms of the game. I don't think that was a you know a particularly memorable ninety minutes or so, despite you know the two penalties for Dortmund and a strange own goal by Schlotterbeck. It just kind of came and went this game I feel like and at the end they won 3-1 three, three I doubt that in two months time I will remember much about this game outside of Phil Krug scoring uh, a hat-trick yeah fair uh, the penalty shots uh, real quick uh, Riemann was uh, beside himself throughout and after the game uh, about these calls um, the, the first one I think to me was pretty clear uh, Malen got uh, sort of whacked uh, by him, obviously. Uh, Riemann did have a flesh wound. <laughs> uh, but uh, still, to me, it was a clear penalty. The second one, I can understand if people are a little bit uh, miffed uh, because the ball clearly did hit Fulkrug's hand in the wind-up. 
um, to to the penalty, but I think um, the contact on Bino Gittens there um, was pretty clear. Um, so I think this was always going to stand if it weren't for the handball call. But you know, um, not not quite sure uh, how how else to uh, describe it. Last, do, do you have any uh, other opinions? I mean, I kind of understand why Riemann would be aggrieved with the first one, just because he has a right to be there. Um, you know, obviously Malen flicked the ball past him and then kind of stepped on his thighs. Uh, but still, I think you could easily make the case that uh, the goalkeeper hindered the attacking player's progress, and that's a foul, um, even if he came away, came away uh, worse for the wear. The second well, it's 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 not like that. The Riemann's thigh was right underneath Marlin's foot, and he was sort of stepping on him. I I think he he graced him more while stepping through Riemann. So to me, it's it's pretty cl clear of a foul. But I, I see that Riemann in, in real time probably felt it differently. But still, I, I think in the replay, it's pretty clear that this was a penalty. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that, but still, I can understand the argument from from the defenders or in this case, the goalkeeper's perspective. Um, whereas the second one, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm holding my hands up and saying I don't necessarily understand when handball can even be reviewed because it seemed to me like they made a rule change as in handball will only get disallowed if it's immediately ahead of scoring the goal. So that was clear. It, it felt pretty immediate though. <laughs> I mean, it definitely wasn't immediately ahead of the goal because the goal came from the penalty spot. It's not like right. Bino Gittens scored after getting the ball from Froko. The point is also that um, that was an, an aerial duel with, where I think the ball didn't come straight onto Froko's um, upper arm, but you know, came off uh, the defender or maybe off Froko himself. It was kind of a somewhat chaotic situation. Um, I didn't think necessarily that that was a uh, handball situation that was uh, punishable, uh, as it were. So I think that's fair enough to um, you know let let play on go on, and then I agree with you that even if it's slight contact, that's enough. There was a graze of the knee or whatever. Uh, Bino Gittens went down. I mean, I I suppose we can say that. The same thing that we said after the Cologne game that, um, you know, Sancho probably at least a little lucky to get that call go his way because otherwise it wouldn't have been overturned. I guess one could make the argument that had they not given a penalty on the pitch for Bino Gittens, that wouldn't have been, you know, egregious enough for the referee to be called to the monitor and then give the penalty afterwards. But I, I think that can be given as a penalty and ultimately I also don't really think that Bochum were you know pushing that much for an equalizer that late in the game I think the third goal came in added time so I'm I'm struggling to understand how that that made all the difference in the game because as I said Bochum weren't exactly pushing like Matt for an equalizer there yeah you're right I, I think overall um I've I've been unhappier after performances from Dortmund. I I think you can see that they did a little bit better than than previously. Um, at least there was a bit more of a flow to the game. Dortmund had uh, far more dominant periods. Um, but as you said, it is a home game that's usually 
um, what you would expect. Um, I mean, it was 63% uh, ball possession, and uh, there were a lot of uh, decent chances, so I think uh, it's out of the question that Dortmund uh, deserved to win this game. And, uh, yeah, it's obviously uh, interesting to see uh, how they go from 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 this game because uh, yeah we had uh, Mokoko start uh, for the first time we had uh, Marlin start we had Sancho start um, and uh, it's already confirmed that the next uh, starting lineup will look different due to injuries but also um, uh, yeah we should probably talk about Giorena uh, going to Nottingham Forest on loan um, he did what uh, often happens he extended his contract for another year. So there is uh, going to be a bit more leverage when he returns from his loan spell from the Premier League. Um, Last, you know, my opinion, I personally don't think it's a wise decision um, to uh, let him go at at this point, just because I do believe that Dortmund need him currently, especially um, not knowing how Metscha is going to uh, uh, recover from his uh, hip injury. Um, so I personally would have liked Girena with a more prominent role, um, but uh, the player obviously wanted uh, more playing time elsewhere and uh, made that very clear. And also, um, in in general, it is good for him to go a somewhere else and and, and get more playing time. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's funny that uh, we will now travel to Heidenheim without uh, Sancho Brandt. And Royce and Giorena would have been the perfect uh, guy to have, but uh, that's not how things are. So, uh, Lars, what's your opinion on uh, on this loan move? Uh, and I think it was notable that Dortmund uh, said that there was no buy option uh, when they announced this uh, loan move. I mean, I have a number of thoughts. I definitely think it was uh, quite conspicuous that Reina didn't start um, against Bochum given uh, that Brandt and Reus weren't part of the matchday squad. So if 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 not then, then when um, to badly translate a German carnival <laughs> song? Um, I mean, it, did, it didn't make sense to me um, to to play 4-4-2 with, uh, I mean, Sancho and Malen are not your 4-4-2 wingers. Um, there were a lot of holes especially in defensive transitions where, um, you know, Zabitza basically was the only one making runs. Uh, so I'm not a fan of this setup, um, which quite obviously we are once again going to get, I suppose, against Heidenheim just because of lack of options in central midfield, unless they want to uh, play Jan, Özcan and Zabitza in, you know, the 10 spot or whatever. Um, and I think... Once Reyna came on, um, he was involved in the second goal with a through ball for Zabitzer's cross to Füllkrug, if memory serves. Yes. And generally speaking, I think Dortmund looked uh, more assured in possession and a bit more... Actually, I think it was Bino Gittens who played the through ball to Zabitzer. Yeah, but, but, I, but he was involved Reyna before was involved in, in, in one way or the other, if, if memory serves. And generally speaking, I think Dortmund looked better switching back to a... Uh, formation that they seem to be more comfortable in, quite obviously, because that's what they've been playing for months, basically in, in, you know, either 4-2-3-1 or, you know, a 4-3-3 alignment. And, <coughs> sorry, given, um, that, uh, Brandt and Reus 
are once again missing in Seidenheim. The, the timing is quite weird um, for Reyna to go. I think without this move, uh, which was clearly uh, in the works, we've been talking about it for two episodes now, um, he he might have started against Bochum, would have started against Heidenheim, and and uh, you know, kind of the the whole situation would have been quite different. Uh, obviously, timing worked out like this with the uh, transfer window shutting down on Thursday. Um, I think I like the the dry loan much better than what was previously reported. You know, a loan with a buyout option for fifteen to twenty million, because I think that's even after uh, all the injuries and lack of playing time, I still think we talked about this last week. Uh, that's below market value. Se- uh, selling someone uh, not at the peak, but at one of the lowest points, just doesn't make sense financially. And the I think the the hope is obviously that he plays a lot for uh, Forest, who are in a relegation battle. Uh, but from what I read. Uh, we're looking to add someone for the wings. So does he have huh. the same issue there that he had at Dortmund, just not getting to play in his preferred position? Or Well, he's not a winger, so... Yeah, but what what people wrote, um, you know, the aesthetic and whatever, typically sounded to me like uh, Forrest were not necessarily looking to add Reyna as the new number 10. Um, so remains to be seen how much he plays there, um, how much of an incentive is it for them to play him? Because uh, obviously they paid a loan fee, which I think was 1 million euros or reported to be, uh, 1 million euros. Yeah. They are covering 100% of his salary for the next five months or however long that is, uh, which will come out to, let's say two and a half or so million. Um, obviously that's not nothing in terms of money, but is it enough, um, for a side fighting against relegation to have the incentive to play a player who's not necessarily staying beyond the season um, that remains to be seen so I don't know if um, you know a relegation fight in the Premier League is necessarily what I envisioned for Reyna in terms of a loan spot but that's what he chose he obviously had a number of alternatives maybe he went to England just because uh, you know culturally uh, with his language and all that and he was actually born in England when his father played there it's a smoother transition than had he gone let's say to uh, Marseille which was uh, rumored to be interested or Fiorentina or Sevilla or whatever that would have been especially only for a a half year loan probably a a more difficult uh, transition and yeah ultimately I think Dortmund did well extending his contract just to keep all options open hope he plays a lot there comes back with more uh, self-confidence and my biggest issue and as we talked about in the last few episodes with with the entire letting Reyna go thing apart from you know uh, it not making the most financial sense to sell someone at a low point or you know the buyout option basically being a sell um is that we don't know that Marco Reus gets a new contract in the summer and if he doesn't and Reyna hadn't returned from from alone then that's uh, an issue that you created yourself so now they have all the options um, they can extend Reus they can uh, put Reyna in in their plans more centrally or you know get, get a new guy if uh, both options don't seem uh, particularly worthwhile but it's just always better to have options and we don't know yet whether Reyna comes back uh, having played a lot and, you know, um, more self-confidence and 
as part of Dortmund's plans, or maybe he just goes out there and rehabilitates his market value. I think both are better options than what was previously reported. So ultimately, I'm I'm quite okay with what happens. Well, I'm I, I'll be honest. I'm this can go really either way because, as you said, uh, relegation fight, Girena. Uh, something where you have to show a lot of resiliency um, and uh, as <laughs> says he likes to pout um, so we'll, we'll see where where this goes obviously also uh, I, I really hope for him that if he gets uh, the, the playing time that he is hoping to get that he can also stay injury free because uh, nothing's going to be worse when he returns to Dortmund from Nottingham Forest with like uh, say 230 minutes played and that's about it uh, you know that that would be that would be not ideal uh, to say the least so i'm i'm really hoping that uh, somehow he managed to thrive there and uh, uh, obviously it would help for dortmund's plans if he thrives in the number 8 position rather on the wings because dortmund have enough wingers and uh, him getting uh, re-educated to be a winger <laughs> doesn't really help uh, uh, matters, to be honest. But uh, yeah, uh, I I will uh, occasionally tune in when Nottingham Forest play. I think I can have that here in the US on Peacock or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, just one final point um, on the on the Bochum game. Uh, I thought that uh, Mokoko looked really well when he when he played. I, I like that he also took on. Uh, defenders uh, showed some nice technical skills here and there, and uh, yeah, had had one really decent shot saved. I, I thought overall, um, for for him starting next to full crook, it, it looked it looked fairly decent. So um, that to me was positive. And uh, if he starts again against Heidenheim, um, that was fairly good. Um, you said you will probably not remember this game. I think we might remember it for uh, for other reasons than the football, just because uh, I thought that the uh, choreo to honor uh, Marcel Schneider, a fan who sadly passed away after uh, a long battle. I think it was was it brain cancer. Um, I th- yeah, I think he had a brain tumor. Um, uh, that that was obviously uh, really. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I I would say I I nearly welled up. Uh, obviously, it was it was also a lot to take in since this was a moment of silence not only for Marcel Schneider but also Franz Beckenbauer and also Kai Bernstein who uh, uh, sadly passed away. Um, the uh, former uh, Hertha president and yeah, it's it was tough, but uh, certainly a, a memorable moment because. Uh, I don't remember the last time the Südtribüne had a choreo for one fan in particular and to, to honor someone like this in, in that way is certainly a very special thing. So, um, yeah, that that to me will most certainly stay memorable, but uh, the game itself, uh, maybe not so much. So, uh, <laughs> let's hope that the Heidenheim match will also not be that of a memorable game because Dortmund just get a dirty win and then move on to the next Fri- Friday game, which is against Freiburg uh, the week after. But um, yeah, tomorrow it's going to be not as easy as the previous three games because, uh, as you said, Cologne and Darmstadt were absolutely useless. Um, Bochum definitely a bit better, but I would argue that out of the four teams of the calendar year, Dortmund faced Heidenheim arguably the best uh, team. So uh, what do you expect from, from Dortmund's lineup uh, going going into this side? Uh, I think Hummels is back. Uh, for good after he had this little cameo at the end. And uh, I think Emre Can is also returning, right? Yeah, Can was already in the match squad for Bochum. 
he's trained now for I don't know how many days in a row, so that should be no issue there. Um, obviously, the the big thing is um, with Brand Royce and Sancho apparently not making the trip. Uh, I think the 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 news will probably come out right after we en end our recording here, but it seems safe to say that those three guys aren't making the trip. Is uh, neither will. I think it's already confirmed. Okay. Okay. Uh, as well as Kobel, I suppose. So yes, and Kobel. Shit, <laughs> I forgot. So it's um, it's going to be interesting because uh, as we we talked about earlier, this would have been a perfect opportunity for Reyna, and now it's either going to be the four four two, which, as I said, while I agree that Mukoko and Fulkrup, um had showed surprising amount of chemistry, I would say, because they don't usually play together unless it's in the final five minutes and Dortmund are pushing for a late goal. Um, I think you can see that Fulkrug is quite um, used to playing uh, in a two-striker formation out of uh, his, his Bremen days with Marvin Dorkschmus uh, recently. Um, while that did look good, I, as I said earlier, I think there were too many holes, especially in defensive transition and that's something that Dortmund have issues with anyway, and and you know abandoning the center as much as they did. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily something I would look forward to, especially against Heidenheim, who are very strong down the middle. Um, I think I I didn't watch the uh, pre-match press conference from Edin Terzic, but I think I saw somewhere that he called Heidenheim the physically strongest team in the Bundesliga. Uh, I don't know if that's um, based on, you know, running numbers or, you know, height or whatever, but it certainly feels like Heidenheim have a strong... Heidenheim? <laughs> Good Lord. Um, <laughs> it certainly feels like they have a strong spine. They're very good on set pieces, uh, which probably lends itself to the theory that uh, they are quite strong, you know, uh, being able to not be pushed around in the box and all that. So um, I... I don't have great feelings about this game. I, if, if, <laughs> that makes us too. <laughs> if we want to be positive, we, we might be positive about ourselves because if people remember our pre-season episode where we ranked the entirety of the Bundesliga, I think, I, I know I said it, I think you guys, uh, you and uh, Matthias also said that we think Heidenheim will surprise people because obviously being first-time Bundesliga uh, members, I think a lot of... Well, you had them in 14th. Yeah, but me I, and my Matthias in seventeen. Okay. But yeah, I I didn't know uh, uh, that you um, recorded that for posterity's sake. I did, I did. I, I wrote down the whole chart, and I have it here in my in my put notes document. Yeah. So every time we reference our masterful preseason predictions, I can just scroll down and and take a quick glance at me putting Dortmund in first place and sinking through the floor in shame. Anyway, I think uh, I, I, what we said was that we are, <laughs> and, and and obviously I'm the least wrong about Heidenheim. Then, um, <laughs> no, but we 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 were quite complimentary of them, uh, especially head coach Frank Schmidt. I think nobody in in German pro football does more with less because you know um, if you look at just the individual quality of their players they they have a couple of good ones obviously as as most teams do but i don't think there's a huge gulf between them and fellow promoted side darmstadt for example but if you look at the record in the bundesliga so far you would think that heidenheim have been here for five years and darmstadt are the plucky underdogs whereas 
both of them are underdogs, obviously. Uh, and I think that's, as I said, credit to, to Frank Schmidt. And if we, uh, wanted to look at, you know, the most dangerous op opponents players, I think, uh, former Dortmund man, Jan Niklas Beste, probably the best left foot for set pieces in the entire Bundesliga this season. And Eren Dingchi, um, a Werder Bremen low knee, uh, who is very much surprising me this season because I never saw much, uh, at Bremen from him. And he's now playing at a level where, uh, conceivably Turkey and Germany are thinking about whether or not they need to take him, uh, to a national team meetup, uh, ahead of the Euros just to make sure that he doesn't go to the other team. And, but I do, I do think he actually, declared as it were for Turkey already but he's been one of the shooting stars in the Bundesliga this season maybe outside a bit of you know the the huge public focus but his pace uh, at almost two meters uh, height uh, definitely causing teams quite a bit uh, or, uh, quite a few problems and uh, I think it was last week uh, where he scored an absolute wonder goal with a long solo using his pace again so if Usually, Chef, when you, you ask me, especially with those teams that overseas listeners probably aren't that familiar with, um, who the danger men are, and certainly Bester and Dingchi are the ones most to look out for. Yeah, don't discount the good old Tim Kleindienst. He is, uh, he is a sneaky one, I feel. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's, uh, he's also up there with uh, six goals. Dingchi has scored seven so far. And, uh, as you said, Jan Niklas Beste is their third best scorer with uh, five goals, uh, seven assists. Um, so that makes him the overall uh, top scorer in, if you count goals and assists with 12. So, yeah, they are a dangerous team, as uh, Dortmund uh, have uh, noted in the, <laughs> in the reverse fixture. And uh, I personally am not really much looking forward to a Friday night game in Heidenheim in early February. It just does not give me uh, great confidence. But um, what I will say is um, I still look forward to it because um, right now I'm looking forward to every minute Ian Martin is playing football because uh, it is just so refreshing to to see him play. Maybe also in contrast to, to other left backs that we have had. Um, but more importantly, um, I think it will also be a start for uh, Jamie Bino-Gittens probably and, uh, of course, Daniel Malen and uh, Mokoko. So there will be a lot of youth uh, in, in play and a lot of uh, skilled players on, on the pitch. So maybe if Dortmund struggled to break down Heidenheim uh, in, in one way, maybe uh, individual skill will uh, save the day once again, a bit, little bit like it did in Darmstadt. Um, we'll we'll see about that, but uh, at, at least uh, lineup-wise, despite the many injuries, I mean, we're down Royce, we're down Brand, we're down uh, Adiemi, and uh, Reina now too. Basically, um, it's and and Duranville you can also count there because he's also not playing. And Alea. Um, and Alea, yes. Uh, so, but but still, I think there's still a lot of offensive firepower. So at least from that standpoint, I hope that Dortmund somehow managed to surprise me and uh, make this a half-decent game. I don't expect uh, a great margin of victory, uh, but uh, yeah, if Dortmund managed to somehow eke out a, an, another win there, um, that would be very positive. I mean, it is uh, obviously helped that Dortmund now, I think, did they jump to fourth place over Leipzig yep. uh, during the last yep. match day? Yep. Um, to 
to solidify that a little bit and uh, if if uh, we uh, make the Vatskian argument uh, and compare the market values between those two teams, uh, I still think Dortmund uh, should have very much the upper hand. But uh, yeah, this is obviously not how, how football works. And uh, Heidenheim, although they've uh, drawn their last three games against Cologne, Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim, uh, all 1-1 apiece, um, I still think are a very dangerous team. So I'm... I'm I'm uh, cautiously looking forward to the game for reasons just mentioned, and uh, yeah, Lars, do you have any final thoughts on tomorrow's game? I mean, maybe we ought to at least mention how strange the first meeting was. I mean, I, I that was just a weird game of football. I think because I've never seen, I've never watched the second half because uh, similarly to the last game, I had to work. And this, uh, when the second half started, so I uh, I only watched the first half, and I I went uh, downstairs to my office, and I was like, oh, uh, this is all rolling. They probably like add two more or three more in the second half, and that's that. But uh, it didn't turn quite out that way, did it? No, it didn't. Um, and I I mean, it's one thing to uh, drop a two goal lead. I mean, it was early in the season that stuff can happen, but uh, the the way both teams basically abandoned midfield and defense late in the game and it was just <laughs> you know one long ball and a scoring opportunity after the other and and Heidenheim actually having you know arguably uh, more of a reason to be annoyed with a draw away at Dortmund when they won their first point ever in the Bundesliga if, if I'm not mistaken uh, yeah that I just a, such a weird game of football uh, you know Dortmund I I'm I'm not sure how many better first halves they've played after this game, and then obviously was on match day three, early in the season. And those first forty five minutes, uh, that was very good. And then you know, uh, after the halftime break, something just clicked for Eidenheim, or I don't know what the reverse of clicking is, but happened to Dortmund. Unclicked. I mean. It, it, <laughs> night and day difference so just a bizarre game of football and um, I suppose if we want to take that into account for the game on Friday evening in Germany uh, let's concede early and then come back either that or you know be be aware that Heidenheim aren't pushovers uh, and uh, I mean obviously they they spend most of the season completely out of any sort of danger um, I think they're their points record is already almost, and I mean, obviously they, have, they still have to score some points, but uh, they are far, far away enough from relegation zones for them not to have to worry particularly, I think. I mean, unless they drop like seven games in a row, but quite frankly, there's no reason to assume that because they've been competitive. I mean, they are unbeaten in five games. Yeah. They have two wins, three draws right now. And I, and I, I don't remember them ever being completely bettered. I don't know, remember how they played at Bayern. I think they might have been competitive in the first half and then in the second half game it went away from them a little bit. Uh if 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 that's not the Darmstadt script uh, and I'm getting things mixed up, but um even if I think the Darmstadt script was that they started really well but then had uh, another sending off or so. Yeah. I think Darmstadt when they played Bayern they played they the, the first 20 minutes Darmstadt was legit the better team against Munich because I happened to watch that game but uh, 
somewhere midway through the first half already, it, it sort of collapsed for them because they had a sending off and then the momentum swung back to Bayern and uh, they got clobbered in the end. Um, but yeah, I did not watch uh, Heidenheim v Bayern, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they lost in Munich two to four goals. And, and if I'm, I'm just looking it up now, they were down two and then, uh, apparently made it to all. So maybe that's a specialty of, uh, Heidenheim. So yeah, uh, just, just to say, um, they've been competitive throughout the season. Uh, they are better than you would think from a first time promoted side and, Obviously, the first meeting should help Dortmund in, you know, uh, sharpening the senses or whatever. Yeah. Uh, th that being said, uh, analytics say their expected goal difference is minus 17.3, which makes them the third worst in the league uh, ahead of Cologne and Darmstadt by quite a margin because uh, Bochum is at minus 9.8. And the expected goal difference per 90 for Heidenheim is minus... 9.1 that or cannot be right 0 0.91 <laughs> sorry <laughs> no they're not expected to concede nine goals per game that would be very funny though um so so at least uh these stats uh make of that what you will uh tell the story that they might have overperformed overperformed a little bit all right it is it is just time to end the show last because uh, i have lost the ability to speak which uh, is sort of uh, something you kind of need to record a podcast. So Lars, uh, uh, I'm I'm just going to quit talking and you will just briefly tell our listeners uh, that Henry Blank is gone and why that is good or bad for Dortmund and, and so on. And then, then we'll just end it. I'm not actually sure as of right now it's... Um, ha it's been made official, but apparently, and, and enough sources talking about it, um, Henry Blank, who debuted against uh, Cologne when Zule had to come off uh, with uh, back issues, if, if I'm uh, correct, um, is off to uh, Red Bull Salzburg for a transfer fee that can amount to 7 million euros, which is quite a bit of money, considering he's never been, you know, rated as an absolute super talent or whatever. And obviously he's only played 45 minutes of um, uh, first team football. He's played quite a bit for the second team in the third division. Um, and his development was uh, surprisingly good. As I said, he never was considered you know, an absolute crown jewel of Dortmund's talent um, department or whatever. So um, the, the, the issue I think is that his contract runs until 2025 and Dortmund wanted to extend, but he probably didn't feel like he was going to get enough playing time to develop further in the first team over the next few months. And he's kind of caught between, you know, being quite obviously too good um, over distance uh, in terms of playing for the Dortmund second team, but probably not good enough to play for the first team, even if Mats Hummels were to retire in the summer. So kind of caught between those, uh, between a rock and a hard place, as it were. And then going to Salzburg, where you can definitely play European football every season, uh, where young players are getting developed and can leave for uh, greener pastures after a season or two seasons or whatever. So I can understand that. I think it's quite quite annoying, actually, that a lot of Dortmund's talents, because the same is happening to Julian Reikov, who is going back to Ajax, 
there seems to be a lack of patience sometimes, which is kind of annoying. Um, and obviously that kind of stuff makes the club look bad sometimes because those are talents that you want to develop. Uh, and then when that doesn't happen and you sell them, it seems like you are not, you know, focusing enough on, on youth and development. But what's the alternative? If the player doesn't want to extend his contract, that is running for 17 more months it's it makes economic sense to sell that uh, guy for a somewhat sizable transfer fee which you know 7 million euros that's nothing to scoff at that gets you apparently a half season of Jaden Sancho and probably you have something to spare there so it's not like that's uh, nothing even for a club with the turnover of Dortmund so at the end of the day I think what we always say when when players leave is uh, you know Reisende soll man nicht aufhalten. It's, it's in German, so uh, people. I'm, I'm. I'll be amazed if I get this uh, correctly in any way. I can't. I can't wait. Uh, don't hold up travelers. I suppose. Um, <laughs> I mean, if if someone wants to leave, basically, you just sort of travelers should not be obstructed. <laughs> yeah, that that even sounded German. Perfect. Um, it, I think. When players want to leave and, and really want to leave, so as it seems was the case with Reyna, I, I think it's, even if you're annoyed by it, it's always best. And, uh, and ultimately, I'm I'm quite surprised we managed to talk five minutes about Henry Blanc and that's sort of... We. <laughs> I mean, you 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 made uh, the impression of a World War II prison guard, so that's something. Yeah. <laughs> uh. uh. Alright. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope uh, Henry Blank has uh, a lot of fun in, in, in Salzburg. That's a beautiful city. I've been there. I also hope he does not uh, develop to the extent that he then becomes a very uh, good player for RB Leipzig down uh, the Red Bull pipeline. That would be very much not appreciated. Anyhow, uh, Lars, thank you very much uh, for your German uh, school of idioms <laughs> and we shall be back with another podcast sometime between the Heidenheim and the Freiburg game until then goodbye